welcome to Change Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, uplevel, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. I'm your host, first class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Fessler. My guest today is Bryn Johnson. It's all about careers, connections, and coffee. In the first 20 years of her career, Bryn evolved from working in the Wellesley College Placement Office to serving as Director of Global Consulting at Monster.com. The road in between was paved with opportunity to take risks and help people view their careers in a whole new way. Bryn has always been a fan of thinking of your career trajectory as a free agency, one big rotational program to build your body of work. Therefore, in 2010, to further her own career adventures, Bryn left corporate America and started her own business. The Bryn Johnson Group is in the business of career mobility and management, helping individuals put the best version of themselves into the marketplace to identify the right next career move. Whether that means navigating your career development path at your current organization or finding a new workplace to call home. Bryn and her colleagues give your career a much-needed jolt through coaching, a personalized networking strategy, and or a revised digital persona and online personal brand. At the same time, Bryn is engaged with some of the most uniquely inspired brands in the country to hone in on the very specific challenges of their talent acquisition strategy. To match the culture story, to the recruiting efforts, and to attract and recruit people who will flourish and move the mission forward. Bryn loves what she does each day and the remarkable people she collaborates with along the way and wants everyone else to feel that way too. Welcome, Bryn. Well, hello there. Let's start at the beginning of your career story. Wellesley College has a certain mystique and some very famous graduates. How did you come to work in the placement office and what was that like for you? Well, how I came to work there is I needed a job. So it was, uh, I needed a work-study job, and uh, Wellesley College is expensive. And so uh, I applied my, I think it was my junior year, and I worked in that office for two years, and probably dating myself now, Kate, because this is when we looked for internships on paper, right? So they were in file folders. I did a lot of filing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And that was an office that I, you know, like so many other aspects of my career, I was exposed to things that I had no idea were going to be an indicator of how much I was going to love working in a, you know, in a placement office and working with people on their resumes and thinking about jobs and careers. And so I was just a lot of times like in the right place at the right time. And the whole thing came full circle. These were uh, mostly women who worked there who were supportive and nurturing. I ended up getting a very coveted job out of college in a management training program through that office, and then came back to volunteer and recruit there. And then fast forward, uh, Wellesley became, those very same women actually became my clients. And I would go back and teach the college students how to revise their LinkedIn profile, how to use social media to look for a job. And then ultimately, as we'll probably talk about a little later, my recruiting side of my business, uh, other other senior leaders at Wellesley became my clients, and I hired some of their uh, most favored uh, 
favored career people ever um, within the communications department. So it, it just became full circle all because I needed a work study job to pay for college. <laughs> so <laughs> you never know where something's going to come from, right? <laughs> It's true. And, you know, you never really can see down the road, right? It's, it's say yes to the opportunity and see where it leads you. Exactly so you, right. <laughs> so you went from filing papers to working at one of, I think, the first, if not, maybe it's not the first, but one of the first um, online recruiting companies. How were you lured to Monster.com? And were you there in the early days when online recruiting was just getting started? Or did you join later after they'd gotten a solid footing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I left Wellesley and spent 14 years at MetLife. And in that world, I basically created myself a rotational program. So I was hired into a rotational program that lasted for two years. Still had no idea what I wanted to do for a living. And then traveled around the, the company until someone said, oh, hey, do you want to you go on campus and represent the very same program that you were hired into? I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. Is that a job? Like, do people go on campus? Is that a job? Like, I had no idea, Kate. And so before you knew it, I was in human resources and uh, <laughs> didn't even know anything about that career starting out. I think it's very different today. Students are much more... Uh, much more focused and much clearer about what we call careers. But, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I just didn't know. And uh, I was in kind of the right place at the right time because as I moved my way through the staffing department and ended up running it at MetLife, we had no online anything, right? So this is late 90s, early 2000s. And we uh, had no employment brand, we had no career site for our employees, and we had no way for external people to apply other than walking into the building in New York. And I was able to build with my team all of that, right? From, wow. from the applicant tracking system to how do we want Snoopy to represent our you know, potential new employees, oh, yeah, Snoopy. right? Snoopy. <laughs> they just they dropped him, didn't they? Anymore. Not they too long did. ago. I know. That's Snoopy. too bad. A, you had no idea the, the conversations that went on offline of all of us who used to work there. Um, and so, so to answer your question, while I was at Met and building the applicant tracking piece that helped people apply, we chose to do it with Monster.com. So they were our vendor and our partner. And uh -huh. it became very clear very quickly that I spoke their language and could kind of weave the recruiting piece to the candidate piece to the technology piece. And again, never studied technology, didn't know I had the skill, and it just came so easily to me. And I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed bringing all of those ideas together. So I left MetLife and needed to take a little bit of a hiatus because contractually I couldn't go right to monster.com. Ah, so the I took old a break. <laughs> yeah, I had a little non-compete, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to say how long I waited and how that worked because we, we are recording this, but, um, <laughs> but I then moved on to monster and I had, to, I went in, uh, into the training team and, uh, you know, kind of led into my career as uh, the director of global consulting. And, and again, there, you never know why you're you're in a place and where something's going to build from there. Um, but it was, again, very full circle because I was now taking what I learned at MetLife and going into the top companies in the world 
with my team and teaching them how to do what I did at MetLife. And it was, we were like, uh, that's way to think of it is we were recruiting evangelists. You know, it was like uh-huh. the, the church of monster, you know, we would have huge ballrooms of recruiters and helping them feel good about their career and helping them do it better, faster, easier, um, looking at. And so again, right place, right time, right timing in the world. Monster was already uh, the premier job board at that point um, and considered a job board, not a kind of a destination site yet. And then social media started to come into play. So there I was at the precipice of social media and social recruiting and found myself learning how social media worked and how it worked in the recruiting space and teaching people all over the, all over the world how to do this. Um, mm. Such an impact, so fun. And, and again, uh, you know, so I wasn't, in, I wasn't at Monster in the days that I hear about where everything operated in a, in a, basically in a trailer right? Like they built uh-huh. monster in a trailer in Massachusetts, <laughs> you know, those great startup stories. Uh, but I was there when there was still ping pong tables and foosball tables. So it was, it was as close to coming from a big insurance company and financial services company to a place where you got to wear fairly casual clothes and you had mascots and games. It seemed pretty fun to me. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So right fun. place, right time seems to be a recurring theme in your life. <laughs> This is true. This is true. But again, like you said, you don't really know you're in it at the time until you look back and think, well, that was a remarkable opportunity. I mean, the the way I've come to look at it is I was an entrepreneur inside of all these companies. So our team at Monster, for example, uh, we were the first team to really be customer facing like that and be in charge of client success, but not have a quota. We weren't in sales. So we were supporting all of the clients once they came on board, helping them love their job and love our product, but also just love the the function of recruiting. And that was something really new. And so we built a lot of uh, new tools, new resources, new programs for all those recruiters in you know in a in a very entrepreneurial style. We kind of did our own thing, and that's the life I had at MetLife as well. So kind of made sense that I would eventually run my own business because, you know, I just keep creating things. I don't maintain them, but I create them. So um, right. <laughs> again, one of those themes, like once you have me, is it need to, I need to maintain it and it becomes cyclical. I get terribly bored. <laughs> it's time to move on. Yeah. Well, you know, that is true of a lot of people who, who start companies. And I think that's some, sometimes how people get into trouble later on is that, they don't recognize that in themselves and they think that they need to run it forever and it's really not the right yeah. thing for them. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yes. And, it's t- and, and there's someone else uh, who is uniquely qualified to maintain it, right? And mm-hmm. to find process improvement and to really, really love taking something that someone else built and making it better, right? Making, mm-hmm. it, making it more effective or more timely. And uh, that's not me. But I always feel as if uh, the more, the more as a you know as organizations we can identify who those people are, and allow them to be really strong at what they do. That's how a team, true team collaboration, comes together. If everybody was creating and no one was maintaining, what a mess that would be. 
Yeah, we can probably I, I, point to a few co- companies like that, can't we? <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, when you talk about the unique strengths that each person has and, you know, when I was in my corporate job and, and it sounds like you had a little bit of a different experience, but um, I was always amazed at how they always pushed people toward their weakest Mm. You know, they, they would ask you, like, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And they would push you on the weaknesses instead of really letting you um, shine with your strengths. Yeah. And it was it, it's yeah. just sort of it like that's how they operate. And, and it, it always surprised me because I thought, well, how is this actually furthering the goals of the company to have people moved into their weakest area instead of uh, letting them display their strengths. And but, yeah, I wish you, know. you could see me. I'm bobbing my head, but you can't <laughs> see me. Like, yes, yes, yes. Like, it's uh, it, the, the companies, the organizations that do it well understand that uh, it, it, helps to, it helps to expand someone's horizons. It helps round them out and give them new skills. But setting them up for failure, I think one of my one of my least favorite examples, but the one that happens most often is uh, when an organization runs out of ways to reward someone, so they make them a manager. Well, uh-huh. maybe that's not ideal for them. Maybe they shouldn't be managing. Maybe they have no interest in managing. And being an individual contrib- um, individual contributor is not a bad thing. It's not a dirty word. And right. uh, you know, some organizations like, well, you know, you've contributed to, at this level, and in order to make you a director, we are going to give you a team. And it's their demise, right? It truly yeah. is their demise when they're so much better off having more of a consultative model and, you know, working around the organization in, in a helpful way using their subject matter expertise. And, uh, again, you know, the companies that do it well recognize this and, and understand how to utilize people to their, you know, to their maximum. And that was some of the conversation we would be having at Monster around uh, even attracting the right people into a company. You need to really understand what it takes to be in that job and who they're going to report to because an accountant is not an accountant is not an accountant. Depends mm-hmm. on who your client base is. It depends on what team you're going to work on. So every job description shouldn't sound the same. And, uh, you know, I don't right. think we have time for me to talk about how much I hate job descriptions. So, uh, well, right. we can move on, but oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, this is something we could probably, document ever. <laughs> yeah, we could probably talk about this for the whole time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've had that too. It's like, well, we need someone to do this. Well, we want someone with these qualities. It's like, why? That's not, that, that doesn't, you know, they're not going to do yeah. a good job because that's not what we need, you know, anyway. So, yes, exactly, we can move on. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that's not a new concept, what you were talking about earlier. Wasn't that like the Peter principle? You're promoted to your to the level of your incompetence or something? Correct. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I always thought that was kind of silly. Uh, but uh, but people are still following that, which is like you said. Yeah, I mean, but, it's just but you're right, and it pushes people to the, to the brink, but in not a positive way. Right, right. So you started your own business in 2010, which was in the early days of the recovery from the Great Recession. Why <laughs> then? And what were some of the challenges that you faced? It sounds like you already were feeling very sort of entrepreneurial in your jobs. Was there anything that you found challenging uh, going from essentially an employee uh, to becoming an entrepreneur? Okay. 
So here's here's the thing: you don't know what you don't know. So right, uh, I, I didn't know a lot. <laughs> Let me just say it that way. Um, I I uh, it, it's kind of a long story. There's a there's a little blog post on my blog about this, but I, I was essentially I loved my job, I loved my team, I loved Monster. Uh, and I loved being Bryn from Monster, which is, you know, I had been Bryn from MetLife and you know, everyone knew me by Bryn from MetLife. And then I became Bryn from Monster and I stood in front of these rooms. And there was one moment on a vacation uh, in 2009 where I thought to myself, I just want to be Bryn from Bryn, you know, yeah. like what about my brand and why is it always uh, – you know, wrapped up in a, in a different brand or a different cartoon character, you know, like Snoopy and the monster from Trumposaurus or Monster. And uh, at this moment, it came into my head. I was at JFK in baggage claim. And we had, uh, it was during, like you said, in the recession. And uh, I worked in New York and the banks were falling. And uh, we got a call from our CEO and our CEO said, uh, so we've got some good news and some not as good news. And you know, the good news is no one's losing their job and your team won't lose their job, but we do have to put a freeze on increases uh, and bonuses. And I was so relieved to be able to tell my team that they weren't going to lose their job in, in that moment. And then the next thought that came to my mind was, well, gosh, without my bonus, I don't make that much more than my team makes, you know, mm-hmm. given all the work I do. I should just go out on my own. How hard could it be to make that much money? <laughs> oh my gosh, right? <laughs> so for all you listening who haven't thought this through, right? <laughs> sometimes naive is good or I may never have done it, right? I may never have taken the risk if I had overanalyzed it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I had just done a little reading and a little, a little projecting, uh, I, I probably would have been in, in much better shape. I mean, there were a lot of people who asked me why during the recession or, you know, kind of coming back out of it. And to be honest with you, um, you know, it was hitting us in, in corporate America, but I just thought to myself, well, career coaches are like lawyers, right? Doesn't everyone need one? Right? I just thought <laughs> everyone needs one. And so very naive on my part, quite honestly. And yet part of it is uh, I look back now and like it was actually refreshing, right? Because I didn't overanalyze. I didn't create a very complicated website. I didn't create all these systems that were difficult. I just stepped out to do what I already knew how to do. And what, what I was missing uh, was not the, the enthusiasm and it wasn't the subject matter expertise around what I did. It was around actually how to run a business. And mm-hmm. that, um, that was the piece I was missing. So I had all kinds of uh, coaches and, and resources helping me think about how to market and uh, thinking about how to package my services to people and all that was new for me. Uh, but there was no one saying, Bryn, this is how you manage your numbers. Bryn, this <laughs> right. is our, you already know what you know, and you don't need to keep uh, asking more people for advice. You know, I, I call it polling, you know, when mm-hmm. you start polling people and asking them what they think. And it was, it was a habit I got myself into that I didn't do in corporate America. But all of a sudden, I was second guessing myself running a business. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think the third piece that became really, really important for me because I, again, I had the subject matter expertise was in place. I had run training programs for years. I had contacts all over the country. 
Um, I had people who I loved in my community who were very generous with their referrals. Um, I understood the technology behind the whole thing. But what I didn't take into account, and I say this a lot to my um, private clients who come to me for career coaching, just because you know how to do it doesn't mean you should. Yes. And I don't, and I, you <laughs> know, and I don't mean it, um, you know, there's, there are a lot of people who talk about it like, you know, you should give away the things that you don't do best and let someone else do it. I don't, I, I don't actually even mean that from a business owner standpoint. I mean, for example, just because I'm great at social media and I love engaging with people in my community doesn't mean I should run your social media campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, just because you want to pay me for it doesn't mean I should take your money and do it. And that's what I really had to learn. Um, I was so good at discerning that in my job descriptions at my work in corporate America. But once there was, um, you know, me and only me having to make that money every month, uh, I just didn't think it through. And diluted is probably the best way to say it. Like I diluted what I did for a living, even taking on people who weren't ideal clients, uh, starting to work with entrepreneurs. Like you are brilliant at working with entrepreneurs. I am not. You're all my friends, not my, not my, not my, <laughs> not my, not my ideal clients. Right. So I went through a whole time where I worked with entrepreneurs and helped them with their personal brands and, and coaching. And I know I did good work and they're people I really care about, but it didn't light me up the mm-hmm. way that working with job seekers does. Um, and it, I think that's, you know, that's one of those aspects of work in general, whether you're running your own business or you're working for someone that I think, I believe, I don't even think it, I believe it's very important to con- continually look at are the things on my plate on a given day, week, month, are, are the tasks or the concepts that I'm asked to work with the things that are really the best place for me to, to be spending my energy? I kind of look at it like a, um, like one of those timers, those egg timers with the sand in it. Like when I'm out of sand, I'm out of sand. And if I used it all doing something that doesn't thrill me um, or at least make me feel like I'm doing my best work or, my, or making an incredible impact or contribution, then I want to look at that because we all have some of those things we have to do in a day-to-day basis, but it shouldn't be the bulk of what you do. And that's what I started to do because I wasn't clear when I came out of the, out of the gate running my own business. So uh, know your numbers and know what you do for a living, you know? Well, and that is great advice. I love that analogy about, um, you know, when you're out of sand, you're out of sand. And if you've expended all your energy on the things that you don't necessarily uh, love, then Mm -hmm. you don't have anything left for the stuff that you do love. Yes. And I would, I would, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to imply that you do this too, because I don't know. I just feel like most people do, which is <laughs> I'll save this for when I can actually sit quietly with it and enjoy it. You know, I'll save this book. I'll save this treat. I'll save this writing. Uh, you know, for me, it's writing. I love to write and I'm always saving it like it's a treat. And so it doesn't get done because I fill the rest of my time with other things. And when you're just right. starting out running a business, everything is daunting, right? Everything takes twice as long as you thought it was going to take. And I never got to the fun part. Uh, For the first couple of years, I didn't get to the fun part, but I knew 
that running a business was the right thing for me to be doing. Like I knew that I was, that I was making an impact in people's careers and I loved doing it. Um, and the feedback I was getting was that I should keep doing it. And which was no surprise because I had basically had the same role inside of the corporation for 20 years. Um, you know, always, always leading people and always trying to figure that out. So, um, yeah, so that, that piece was no surprise, but it was all the rest of running the business to come very messy, very fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I'm glad that you persevered because, you know, a lot of people, they get discouraged in those first couple of years because they think, wow, this is not, I'm not having any fun. Right. And that was for most people. That's why they start a business is because they want to do the things that they love to do and leave the rest of that stuff that, you know, maybe their boss at their job wanted them to focus on, which (laughs) they didn't want to focus on weaknesses or weaknesses for a reason. Right. No, it's so true. I mean, I'm sure you find this a lot with with people you work with that. I I would find that I got very lured by the uh, you can do whatever you want. When you're an entrepreneur and you run your own business, you can do whatever you want all day long, right? So if you want to work at two in the morning, you can. No one's stopping you. You want to take a walk in the middle of the day, you can. No one's stopping you. And what I forgot is that I like structure. So I forgot about myself. I like structure. I like to go to kickboxing class at a certain time. I like to have client calls at a certain time. I like to be done with my work at a certain time. No surprise, 20 years of doing this. You know, unlike a lot of people, I am not a corporate refugee. Like I loved corporations. I, my favorite clients are people who work in super complex bureaucratic organizations because I understand them. I get them. They make sense Mm. to me. They serve a purpose in the world. Uh, I just don't work there anymore. But I didn't run screaming like so many people do. So yeah. I didn't need I didn't need to like snap back the rubber band when I got to my own business. But I I again just kind of got excited about the opportunity to have a loosey goosey schedule. And for me at least, loosey goosey schedule equals no money. Loosey goosey right. schedule <laughs> equals uh, absolutely no idea what my priorities are and what my goal, how my goals are being achieved. And I'm a goal oriented gal. So um, yeah, but it, that took several years for me to figure it out because I was watching other people do it really well. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why I couldn't. And I wanted to. So I kept trying to fit that square peg in the round hole. And the truth is, I'm a square peg who likes a routine. <laughs> yeah, you like the square hole. For the square like peg, the square. yeah. Exactly right. And once I could just get honest about it, um, it, it was okay. It was okay. And things were so much smoother. I stopped, you know, I just stopped trying to force it. Yeah, well, is really important because, uh, that, and again, thank you for telling that story because um, it is true that people try to mold themselves into uh, something that they may not be. And then that also sets them, sets them up for failure. Immediately. Yes. And to your point, sometimes they don't come back out of it. Right. Right. For whatever reason that is, um, you know, fortitude resources, um, you know, lack, lack of understanding that they're in a hole and they don't know, you know, um, for whatever reason, uh, huge support network, amazing people. Um, you know, a lot of it had to do with, um, you know, at least for me, 
how I keep going had less to do with um, I got the business skills I needed and I'm always getting more. Uh, I always need more. There's still things I'm figuring out. Uh, but a lot of it was what I was doing that, um, how do I say it? Like that worked in tandem. So a spiritual practice that made a lot more sense. Uh, um, taking care of myself. Uh, there was a point in, in my life where uh, as I started my business, I was ending a relationship. I was probably the unhealthiest I'd ever been in my life. And a lot of those things needed to be healed before I could mm-hmm. truly run a business the way that I believe I'm, I'm on this earth to do. Um, it took a long time. I had to take care of some of those things before I took care of my business. And once I did, it got easier and uh, I was more aligned, I guess, is probably the way I'd say it. And it was a lot of hard work, and I couldn't see the end in sight. I just knew that what, what was happening for me wasn't working, and I was in pain, and it needed to stop. Um, and it allowed me to show up very differently in my world. So sometimes, whether you're running a business or you have your own career, like sometimes the, the energy you need to put towards something actually isn't on the business or the career or the the um, technical aspect of it, it's on something else that's, uh, that's permeating all your decisions. Yes. So true. So true. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about the coffee. <laughs> oh, the coffee, you know, you've been with the coffee with me. I know you're a coffee <laughs> I love the coffee. Uh, I, you know, why do I love the coffee? To me, there's a couple things. Um, the the coffee itself, you know, again, I just told you how much I like a good plan. It's the ritual, right? There's a ritual to the coffee, um, how I make it. I have about 12 different ways I could literally 12 different ways I could make coffee at my house. Um, I, there's something there's something about the ritual of the coffee. I mean, I drink it black. I, I'm not stirring the milk and the sugar and the, all the fancy things you can do to it. Uh, but at my home, at least, every one of the mugs that I drink out of was given to me by someone I love, and oh. it represents something. And so I have, when I'm at home, my coffee is also, like, I will look at my mugs and decide, like, who I want to be close to. Like, working at home, it's, <laughs> it's lonely, right? And, I, and my office is at home. I don't have a co-working space other than the coffee shop, which is my other part of coffee I love. So uh, when I'm working at home, sometimes I just want to be in a, like, in community with someone. And I'll choose a mug that is representative of someone who I really love or a gift that was given to me by some, and an event that was really special to me. And uh, so that's, that's kind of what happens to me inside my brain around coffee, other than the caffeine. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but coffee shops as a whole are fascinating to me. I mean, when I travel, they are the, the entry point into the community they help me meet locals and not tourists. Uh, they help me understand what's important to people. When I kind of look around the way the coffee, coffee shop culture works, um, I meet the most interesting characters, uh, potential clients, collaborators, tourists who need help, other entrepreneurs, <laughs> uh, screenwriters, novelists, celebrities. Like, it's just, it's so fun. Uh, <laughs> so that's part of, you know, you never know what you're going to find. For me, the... Um, there's also, again, like a, it's a focus. So I will create what I call my coffee shop office. 
and I bring my snacks and I come over with my laptop and I can, I can focus, right? And there's very little distraction as opposed to, again, as an entrepreneur who works at home, there's always something calling out my name to me um, that I can do that, to distract me. And, and then there's you know, the other piece that coffee shops, which, you know, the whole point of having created them back in the 1800s or whenever they were created um, was as think tanks, basically the think tanks before we called them that, you know, groups of collaborators who would sit around uh, and talk about concepts of the day. And, you know, that's what it looks like to me. I feel like it's, it's this place where people come and there's so much going on. Uh, I first, I first started going to coffee shops before they were a New York thing. When I would go to Lake Tahoe on vacation, there was one particular coffee shop at the bottom of um, South Lake Tahoe that actually taught me about cold brew 20 years ago. I've been brewing my own cold, oh. my own cold brew for 20 years. Um, and they you know, did their own roasting. And I learned about the best places to hike and local artists and things going on that weren't touristy. And people would welcome me back and know me by name. And so, you know, these coffee shops have kind of become my cheers. And, uh, yeah. you know, I like, what, I like when I walk in and the barista says, hey, Bryn. And I'm like, you know, hey, Seth. Like, it's not, it's, it's a, again, that sense of community that in, you know, I live in New York City. So in a place that feels overwhelming to a lot of people, I can turn it into small neighborhoods very quickly. And that's, you know, that's kind of the way I do my work. And it's the way I like to live. So if I know your name and I know which barista is serving which coffee today there's something about that in the ritual that makes me um, really connected like really my brain really buzzes around that um, and for some people it's you know it doesn't work for them but for me it's you know it's it's the best gift someone can give me it's the place I like to meet people to, so I can hear their story and get to know them it's just it's what I love other people go to bars I go to coffee shops so <laughs> I love that. The ritual. Yeah. You know, we've done it. We've done it. Since. I know. <laughs> well, we've got to take a short break. When we come back, you should like your job. What a concept. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. Are you ready to rise up and share all your greatness to the world? Stop playing small and settling for mediocrity? If so, then you need to join us at our eWomen Network Entrepreneur Conference and Business Expo in Dallas this year, August 3rd through the 5th. There will be hundreds of women entrepreneurs from all over the world waiting to meet you to share knowledge, wisdom, and even partnerships. Get ready to be coached by me and learn from other multi-million dollar speakers who will teach, inspire, motivate, and guide you to transform your thinking from small to big. And you can't beat the food and fun at our Saturday night dance party either. Look, no one makes it alone, so it's time to stop trying to be the COE, chief of everything, and step into your role as CEO. There is nothing like the eWomen Network Conference to bring out your genius and help you take action on living your dream. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back to Change Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler, and my guest today is Bryn Johnson. 
Bryn, I couldn't agree with you more that you should treat your career as a business, the business of you. We all know people who are in jobs they tolerate or outright hate for a variety of reasons. And I help people figure out how to start their own business or create multiple streams of income so they can escape from the corporate industrial complex. But that's not for everyone, as we've been talking about. Some people are much better within that structure, even if only as a series of experiences that ultimately leads them to their own business like it did for you. You help people find jobs they love that will help them build the best career for them. Tell me about how that works. Oh, how does it work? It's different for everyone, quite honestly. Um, at least what the way I do my work, it's really personalized. And sometimes, I'll tell you, one of the secrets is sometimes the job they really love is the one they're doing. They just want help doing it differently. So there are, there are some people I work with um, who – you know, for example, they haven't activated their network in a million years. They've gotten really complacent in their job. They're great. I mean, my clients are very highly motivated and highly accomplished, but a lot of times that, that creates tunnel vision. And it means that they haven't been to any kind of inter industry networking event for years, or they only talk to people within their division of their company and not... Uh, really branch out to see what else is being done in the company. So they are incredible in their silo, but need to look and branch out. And I'll work with them on, on plans to make that happen. And sometimes that means they don't even have to leave their organization to find another opportunity. Um, there are others who are trying to think about how not to be so compartmentalized. You know, they're at a stage in their life where it's, uh, they want to they want to show up to work as a complete picture. They want to be, you know, the, the same reason that we hear a lot of people start their own business. It's like I want to be me. I, I used to joke that I started a business so that I could cry every day because I used to cry in the corporation <laughs> for a not good reason and have to run to the ladies' room because you know like there's like there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in corporate America. Go in the conference room and get <laughs> right. yourself together. You know, I'm just highly emotional. I'm a highly emotional person. I cry when I'm happy. You know, I just cry. And uh, there wasn't a lot of room for that <laughs> in a big financial services company. And so I didn't, you know, I, Monster was much closer to uh, kind of who I am. And, uh, and it's interesting because I, I see this a lot from people where when they were in their 20s and even in their 30s, uh, they, whatever was asked of them was fine, right? And they found a way. But once the complications of life come into play, children, children moving on, aging parents, uh, a move, a spouse, uh, you know, just uh, their own interests that have been budding into their 40s or their 50s, all of a sudden these transitions can become really overwhelming and they need a different kind of role. Um, so I will help them look at their entire body of work, like everything they've done from the volunteer work that they've done to the passion projects they've worked on to the kinds of work that they've done inside of their organization. Um, the, like I said earlier, like the more bureaucratic, the better, because it makes sense to me, right? Like let's mm -hmm. talk about your relationships with people. So, you know, sometimes my work sounds a lot like career therapy, quite honestly. It's like, <laughs> okay, look, this is a safe place. You can, I'm not telling anyone. It's utterly confidential. So feel free to talk about all of the relationships and all of the people. And sometimes um, it's about, helping that client think through how they're showing up like in every relationship right there's two people right. at least two people 
um, so they have a part in it also. So it's, you know, when we look for patterns and so one of the things I do really well is just see patterns and we'll talk about, well, isn't that interesting that all of your bosses seem abusive or all of your bosses uh, seem to take credit for your work. You know, when let's talk about how you stand up for that or, mm-hmm. um, you know, the flip side is you are uh, egomaniacal in a way, right? And, and are so busy searching for the, for the golden ring or the money that you've lost sight of the kind of work you like to do. Um, and sometimes it's, just a, it's a very, it's a softer middle ground there, Kate. Like, uh, you know, I've been, I've been in this particular role for a really long time. I don't know what else I can do because I don't know what people call these things in other industries. So where right. can I go? What can I do? Um, I, have a, I have a large number of expat clients who are coming back to the States and don't know what the job market looks like and how to convert a, a CV into a resume. And then what's this crazy online methodology that happens here? And how does that get read? And um, so really helping people navigate that online piece as well becomes a, becomes a big piece because, as I'm, you know, as I'm sure you've heard, people mention um, around the social media piece, you know, a lot of times it's a necessary evil for people and they just, they're, they're outright disdainful about things like LinkedIn, but it's, it's Uh necessary. And so how do I get them to a point where they use it in a way that works for them, but doesn't feel as if it's taking up all of their time or uh, they feel um, not genuine in the way that they're interacting with people. Uh, so I, you know, these are conversations I, I mean, I could, I could talk about this all day long, you know, the networking piece and the relationship piece, because sometimes it's more important than what they're doing. It's how they're doing it in their workplace. Right. Right. So on the flip side, um, I used to work in the tech industry, so I know how important culture is, right. To companies, (laughs) especially ones that are growing and changing the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've seen some very talented people flame out because it just wasn't the right environment for them to shine. So Mm -hmm. how do you engage with the companies who are looking for just the right employee to make that perfect match? Oh, yeah. This is this is the other. So thank you for mentioning it. It's it's the flip side of my business. Right. So um, I don't call myself a recruiter. I uh, I don't take on any old recruiting job, uh, what, what I'm really interested in, big surprise based on what I've been talking about, is, is working with organizations that are shifting and changing, that their culture is um, in, a, in a growth time, and they need to attract clients that really, I mean, our candidates that really match, that really match not who they are today, but who they want to be, right? So our representative of what their new brand is going to look like, um, even if it's just a, a, a minute switch. So I'll take on these recruiting projects and I step in. A, most of the time, these are roles where they're going to need just one of, one of something, like a director of communications or an executive director or a head of public relations. And they don't need a whole slate of candidates and they don't need one of their recruiters internally to focus solely on this job. So they'll bring me in to do that instead. And I act like an ambassador to their organization. And, and I'll, I'll tell you one of, one of the things I use is, as a litmus test is now that I've met this person, this candidate, and we've kind of moved along in the process, would I want to sit next to him or her every day? 
Mm. Right? So all because you're great at what you do or you talk a great talk, if I sat next to you, would you annoy me? If I sat <laughs> next to you, would you would you drop this facade, this interviewing facade, and actually not be the person that I thought you were? Right. And so I am I am especially adept at getting to that point with people. Maybe it's kind of the coffee shop talk. You know, it's, mm-hmm. people get very comfortable with me, like I'm their big sister, very fast, and they tell me things they wish they hadn't told me. And <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. Now I have to eliminate you as a candidate. Um, you know, but still doing all of it, of course, under the, you know, under the HR guise. Um, but what, you know, what this really allows me to do is given that I am working with job seekers in one part of my life, I'm working with applicant tracking systems. I have a lot of clients who I help them implement their recruiting tools. You know, it's another special project I love doing. Um, and I'm recruiting for some organizations. So when I, when I pull the whole piece together, it's like I'm coming at each engagement thinking about all the pieces. And, it's, and, and that is, um, that's a behavior that I would encourage everyone to consider. Like, okay, no, whatever the job is you're being asked to do, put yourself in the shoes of all the constituencies and come to understand what's being asked. Because when I interview people, I then see some of the errors that job seekers make. I then turn around to my job seeker clients and make those suggestions. I can see what's not working in the technology, and I make a suggestion to the company about how they might do it differently so the candidate experience looks different. Um, You you come to understand some of the infighting going on in an organization or some of the growth challenges they're having, and it it helps me remember uh, what actually happens in an organization and what are some of the pitfalls and how to avoid them. And so, you know, none of us can operate in a silo. And it's part of why I like what I do is I get to bounce back and forth uh, from either side or some of the, the multiple sides of, of one action, which is hiring people, uh, and really looking at all of those pieces. Um, and that's, you know, that's the right match if you are a business owner hiring a vendor. That's the process you want to use if you are a business owner hiring uh, hiring someone for your team. If you are vetting a business and you're trying you're vying for that business, how are they be how are you being perceived against the other people who might be vying for the same business? Um, you know, it's 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 a really interesting way to look at every engagement, um, mm-hmm. and it and you know personally it just keeps me. Uh, you know, we've discussed, I do not like to maintain. I like new things. So yeah. this always allows for, you know, personally for, for something new and exciting to be happening. And there's always that huge win of being so excited when the right person is in the right job for the right culture, um, where you just know they're going to thrive and they're going to offer so much to that organization. And then hopefully bring their friends along too, because that's, of course, the best way to recruit is to bring other like-minded people with you. Um, and I, I just love seeing that happen as cultures grow and shift, um, especially at some of these really cool companies that I've worked with before. It's really fun. Yeah, and when when the employees are happy, the company is happy, and everybody moves in the right direction, and it uh, makes so true. for more success for everyone. It's so true. and But it doesn't, you know, the same... Again, it goes back to that litmus test. It's the same thing that makes one person happy doesn't make someone else happy. And the same, right. you know, there are cultures, there, there's someone right for every culture and there's a culture right for every person. And it's, it's about the matchmaking, really. 
I'm a matchmaker. I'm a matchmaker. You are a matchmaker. I love that. I'm a matchmaker. So we're almost out of time, believe it or not. So I want to ask you the question I ask everyone, which is, uh, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Oh, wow. Okay. I've read a million business books, as you can imagine, like my shelves are full of why this career, why that, um, but okay. The one that really has changed my life, um, it might be a bit of a surprise. It's called 365 Thank Yous. Uh, it's written, and I think this, the subtitle, let me see. Oh, it's here on my shelf. Um, the Year a Simple Act of Daily Gratitude Changed My Life. And it's uh-huh. a true story by a man named John, I think you pronounce it Kralik, K-R-A-L-I-K, K-R-A-L-I-K. Um, the book's a little old. Um, you know, it's maybe... I don't know, five or six years old at this point. Um, and he, he basically creates a practice for himself through a number of, of misfortunes of creating thank you, writing thank you notes to people, um, 365 of them to be exact. And this particular story, I read it probably 20 times. Like I cannot stop reading this book and then putting that spiritual practice in place for me. I, I look at it as spiritual practice. It's like my mom always made me write thank you notes always. Mm -hmm. I couldn't play with the gift until I wrote the thank you note. Um, And I, as an adult, you know, the opportunity to sit quietly and write a thank you note, I'm pretty stationary with a beautiful pen and think about the person. It's kind of like the mug that I drink out of. It's like, okay, who's the person who inspired this? Why am I thanking them? Um, It's, and because this practice forces you to think about writing a thank you note every day, it's not just about receiving gifts and thanking them. It's about thanking people for small acts of kindness, about thanking them for being who they are. It's about just letting someone know that you're thinking of them. And in this story, I won't give it away, but there are some remarkable shifts. You know, we might even call it manifesting in a way of certain things that happened in his life that he attributes to having written these thank you notes and the change in his mindset around how he looked at the world and where he saw how good his life really was, even when it didn't feel like it. And it's just a great reminder, even when things don't go my way, that there are so many things to be grateful for that are bigger than a gratitude list. It's actually a, a, another action I have to, that I have to take in order to write this. It's, this book, is, it's an easy read, but to me, it's incredibly profound. So, Wow, that is an awesome recommendation. And I assume that these are true heartfelt thank yous, not the snarky ones like Jimmy Fallon does on his <laughs> yeah, program. Yeah, <laughs> funny. <laughs> but no, I try to keep the snark to a, to a minimum. <laughs> right. So really before funny. we go, I want to ask you about your blog, Brain of Bryn. Tell us about yeah. that quickly. Who should be reading it and where can people find it? Oh, you know, you can read it for all kinds of reasons. So you might read it for networking tips or, uh, you know, career career tips or social media tips. Uh, but there's also a lot on there that I'm starting to write around just things that inspire me, like that book that I just mentioned. Uh, you know, I'm starting a whole series around kind of inspiration. Uh, you find it on my website, brynjohnsongroup.com, B-R-Y-N, johnsongroup.com. Um, but I think there's a little something there for everyone, whether you're a career or a business owner or none of the above, right? And you, you just want to be inspired. Um, but there are some very tactical blog posts in there as well, Kate, 
that talk about personal brand online and things to do and don't do and um, and some specific steps to take uh, also around social media. I talk a lot about social media and the way to use that in your career and in recruiting. So it might be interesting to somebody along the way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. It was lovely speaking with you. Bryn Johnson of the Bryn Johnson Group, com. Go have a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this week's program. Bryn's amazing, isn't she? I've compiled the recommendations of my guests on my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com, on the resources tab, so you can find them all at one convenient place. Full disclosure, if you click through and buy something, I get a very small commission from Amazon. Please leave a comment on the show page if you have something to say about this or any other show, or if there's a topic you might be interested in hearing about for a future show. If you'd like to be a guest, click on the link on the show page and fill out the survey and we'll see if it's a good fit. Next week, my guest will be Thelma Putzel. Thelma is a professional who's devoted 30 years of her life as an individual contributor, manager, and mentor in the corporate environment. Working with fast-paced high-tech companies such as HP, EDS, Oracle, and Informatica, Thelma figured out for herself what it meant to have work-life balance and a meaningful connection to her work to live her best life on her terms. She has developed strategic ways to overcome the disempowering thoughts of, I should, I have to, and I'm supposed to, and now moves through life with inspiration and authenticity. Thelma helps professionals who want to work smarter, not harder, and be high performers while achieving work-life balance. She believes it starts with meeting and trusting one's genius within. Thelma's passion is to share her wealth of knowledge and provide detailed insights, strategies, and tools to those who don't know where to start or how to connect to their genius within so they can accelerate their path to more success, fulfillment, and happiness on their terms. I hope you'll join us. Until then, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.